Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Hello and welcome everyone to Dropping In. We're quarantining and in need of diversion. How do we get through this seemingly endless and dire situation without the benefit of total escape? As in the sweeping historical fiction of Michelle Cameron, our guest today, she's written a book called Beyond the Ghetto Gates, published by She Writes Press. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Diane. Happy to be here. Good. We're happy to have you. Congratulations on the publication of this book. It's a labor of love. I can tell it's um, quite extensively researched. And to me, it's an instant classic. I also have to mention that during this week, sadly, um, my mother passed away. And I can honestly say that this is the only book I could have read during this time. Um, it's instantly transportive. It's comforting. There's a lot of solace in the rituals. And I just want to congratulate you on this book. Well, th- thank you for that. And I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. My condolences. She would have, thank you, she would have loved this book. She was a voracious reader, and she especially loved a good love story wrapped inside a historical period, little examined. It's, um, it's uh, a romp through 19th century Italy that was occupied by Napoleon Bonaparte. He liberated the ghettos that incarcerated the Jewish population, in this case, in Ancona, Italy. Uh, this beautiful walled town where there were actually physical gates imprisoning uh, the ghetto of the Jewish population. We meet the characters whose fate is tossed in the air by the religious rebellions to this liberation. Uh, Not everybody was a fan of Napoleon liberating the Jews. Um, We had the Catholic uh, priest. We had uh, a population that was very ignorant of Um, the subject of diversity, but we have individuals who transcended their roles, Simone, David, Pinina, Mirelle, who I find to be the lead character, Dolce, her friend. Then there are various um, lovers and male companions um, and male characters who stand out as well, Daniel, Christophe, uh, and then Emilio, of course, the, um, the the real villain I found, and Francesca, his wife. But, you know, the great part about this book to me, uh, Michelle, is that you didn't make really black and white characters. Everyone has sides to them, facets to them. Um, and I found that this kept me um, fascinated and concerned about where they were going to go and what happened to them. Um, Narducci is the faithful manager of the Ketuba workshop owned by Muriel's family. 
And ketubah, for those who are not familiar, it's the ancient art of creating scrolled marriage certificates in the Jewish faith. They were done on parchment with gold embellishments, fantastic colors and designs. And this is a family-owned business in Muriel's, uh, Muriel's family. The question of the book and the central dilemma is whether Muriel can work in the Ketubah workshop, which was frowned upon, if not banished altogether, in this very conservative Jewish enclave. She wasn't permitted as a woman, although she had a great uh, efficiency and proficiency with numbers, she could manage the books for her father's business. So the question was, will she escape the restrictions of her traditional family and the ghetto even. There are some super steamy sex scenes in the book, lots of violence, um, and yet great beauty. Michelle, um, would you agree that this is sort of the central dilemma is Morel and her journey? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Morel is the, the character that we follow all the way from the beginning of the novel through to the end. And her, her dilemma, her, her wanting to stay true to her family and her faith, and yet really sort of seeing what else is out there in the world, especially during this period of the Enlightenment where there were all these new ideas. Um, you know, she's truly struggling with this. She's peering out of the gates, too, from time to time, and um, it gets the best of her sometimes of just wondering what's out there. Um, and what is out there is Napoleon's um, absolute revolution in France, um, you know, and we um, the upsetment of the hierarchy there, which, um, you know, led to uh, liberty, egality, uh, security, uh, you know, the, the fraternity. Um, This was the entire revolution in France of the monarchy and um, by the sans-culottes, and it was ushered in the removal of hierarchies, although, of course, with no internet, um, this was just a ripple going through in that Napoleon entered the ghetto and entered Ancona and tore down the gates of the Jewish ghetto, which is also so symbolic. We're going to come back to this dilemma and this incredible journey of this young woman. Um, But first, I want to tell you a bit about Michelle. She's a bona fide. Michelle Cameron is the director, is a director of the Writer's Circle, a New Jersey-based organization that offers creative writing programs to lots of people, children, teens, and adults. And she is the author of other works of historical fiction and poetry. Beyond the Ghetto Gates, um, this this spring, the fruit of her hands, the story of Shira of Ashkenaz, uh, which was published in 2009, and In the Shadow of the Globe, which was published in 2003. Moreover, Michelle lived in Israel for 15 years, including the three weeks in a bomb shelter during the Yom Kippur War. She served as an officer in the Israeli Army, teaching Air Force cadets technical English. Michelle lives in New Jersey now with her husband and has two grown sons, which she says of whom she is inordinately proud. 
I'm not sure how you could get inordinately proud because, of course, there is no end to it, right, when you're a mother. One of the uh, sons, I believe, is Alex, her muse, to whom the book is dedicated, and we'll hear more about that relationship uh, as we discuss the process of the book. Michelle's website is michellecameron.com. You can find her there and learn more about her. Uh, I do think that the focus of this book uh, is on this uh, transformative aspect and time for women who were destined to remain constrained to family ties. Well, that would have been okay for Morel. She was very devoted. Her conflict became that she wanted to walk into her power as a competent young woman who was capable of managing the workshop, the Katuba workshop, following her, her father's um, demise and was forbidden to do so. In fact, there were repercussions against it um, in the community. And I wondered, uh, M- Michelle, because you're so adept at introducing us to Mirelle's uh, inner dialogue, her questioning, her search for what she really wanted and how to sort through all of this. I wondered if you identified closely with her or how all of this very, very accurate um, relaying of her inner dialogue came about. I would say, well, certainly, I think every author puts a part of themselves in a lot of their characters, although certainly not all of them. Um, but no, certainly I, I did identify with Morel and with her struggles um, and with her wanting you know, to realize her passion, which was to, ma- to, to manage the Ketubah workshop to help her family's legacy um, and was forbidden from doing so, as you've said. So um, I definitely felt for her dilemma. I think every woman um, feels for this dilemma that they aren't really um, still permitted to do exactly what they want to do, that there are social constraints on them. Mm-hmm. And so, absolutely, um, I d- identified with her and her struggles. It is it is something that feels universal, to be honest, to to women. And I also want to um, elucidate the the alternative was to marry the the. Um, so if you weren't going to be able to be what she wanted to do was really just to be a simple worker in the workshop. She wanted to manage the books and the business side of things. Um, she was extremely sensitive and adept at. Uh, an adroit at handling the the men who had trained in the workshops, who were in fact indentured in the workshop, um, mm-hmm. in the laws of that time, they were not free actually to leave. So that um, when other forces conspired to attempt to take over the workshop, that of her evil aunt, um, you know, she was having to really wage a battle. So the alternative uh, a goal, so the goal that her mother wished upon her uh, Morel was to marry wealth, marry into wealth and the proposed proposed suitor was someone who was the father of her then dear friend Dolce. So imagine 
marrying someone the age of your father, your the age of your friend's father um, and David. Um, and the fascinating part to me is that these, the Marpogo brothers, they existed in reality. Is that correct? That, that is correct. In fact, Napoleon did, in fact, appoint them to the Municipal Council of Ancona when he took over, you know, when he conquered the town and he um, took it out away from the Pope's control and made it a more independent sort of city um, um, government. And so they were, in fact, appointed. The, the Morgo family was a long-lived uh, family in Ancona um, and pretty much as wealthy as I have painted them. Um, but, you know, and your point about her marrying someone older, um, I realize has like this ick factor to us today. But if you take a look at, you know, the literature of the time, um, it was very, very common for young girls to be married off to older men, especially when they didn't have a male heir. So this was, this was not unheard of in that period of time. But yes, is- I think we all dislike the thought immensely. Right. I mean, but there were role models. for. There were a, a number of couples that could be cited, even in the story. And um, she, Morel, also experienced in Beyond the Ghetto Gates uh, a certain repugnance. Um, she was a virgin, but she, you know, even contemplating physically being with someone that she had regarded as something of an uncle all her life, a very kind and benevolent uncle, um, it just twists your mind in a way that, you know, you're not unprepared to switch roles. And she, uh, she was trying so hard to please her family and fulfill her duty in acquiring a wealthy husband. So she actually did toy with the idea and she tried very hard to make it work if you could, um, you know, if you would. And she, she went so far as to promise to consider his proposal, David's proposal. And then there was the lightning bolt, which was that one of the forces of um, of Napoleon's army was the dashing Christophe. And of course, there is a massive intrigue. Um, we've got a few minutes left of this segment, Michelle. And um, in talking about Beyond the Ghetto Gates, I feel as though it was this idea of getting beyond so many things, so many um, stipulations and scriptures of the day, and how she went about it. Did she keep pretty much her own counsel in this, or did she really have, how did it work uh, in your mind's eye developing her as a character? Um, she was she was an interesting character to develop because um, I have what's what I call personally my feisty heroine dilemma. So earlier on, she was a much more demure character, sort of more in keeping with her age. But as I continued to develop her, I realized she needed more agency. She needed to be more of her own person. And so um, that, that was something that needed to be, you know, fleshed out over time, because otherwise the book wouldn't work. Um, mm-hmm. 
there were also times that I, I played with different... This book was revised multiple times, I have to tell you. Um, and there was a point in time when she was going to be more of an artist than a mathematician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, again, it was a matter of what would actually work in terms of the storyline, in terms of the plot line. Right. So Morel uh, underwent many changes. In keeping, though, with the revolutionary times, um, I think it's important that she defy a stereotype and become the left brain, you know, logical uh, mathematician's type. And I think that when we come back from the break, everyone is going to be keen to hear how she ultimately... um, had a tryst, a very um, intriguing and hot and steamy tryst, um, and wound up defying the odds <laughs> in addition to all of this. Don't go away. We'll come back on Dropping In with Michelle Cameron, author of Beyond the Ghetto Gates. We'll find out what happens to Muriel in just a moment. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D. Dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Michelle Cameron, author of Beyond the Ghetto Gates, just out from She Writes Press. It's a historical novel that I feel will become an instant classic. It has all the elements, including um, rampant um, and really well-written sex scenes, Michelle. And my hat's off to you. Um, you know, this was the time of, uh, of enlightenment, 19th century. We're in Italy. Napoleon is occupied the city of Ancona. We find Mirel there. She is supposed to be destined to marry a man as old as her father in order to have a suitable match who is Jewish and who also increases the family 
wealth so that the workshop of the Ketubah, that is her family business, can continue and thrive. However, the dashing Kristoff appears. He is a soldier with Napoleon's forces, and he is accompanied by Daniel, who is, in fact, a very distant relation of Merrell's. And I thought it was so interesting, her conflicts. You know, you've just created such a wonderful character in Morel. She's layered and nuanced and full of contradictions and competing versions of how to be, past traditions, future ambitions, her now burgeoning sexuality. She's coming of age. She's a teenager. Um, she's like 16, 17, 18, finally. And she becomes infatuated. She sees this dashing soldier. He's a Gentile, of course. He is totally unsuitable. He is also totally unobtainable. He is quite the he's quite the cad himself. He's bedding down Italian women rampantly. Um, and then Michelle, she's she's listening to different signals she's getting, but the one that starts, you know, it's the voice of I've got to remain true to my family and to my traditions and to my faith. And the other one is I'm lusting after this person. Her pulse is quickening. She, it's a real bodice ripper, at, you know, in, in certain parts. And um, thank heaven for it, because it's a really human dilemma. Um, would you say that she had these voices in her head, these messages that were going back and forth volleying for her attention? She wasn't completely acting on her real gut self, right? A deeper intuitive level just yet. Would you say she was coming into her own, but not just yet? I, I think that's true. I, I think that's true. I think that, you know, any, any obviously, again, um, anyone who, you know, becomes suddenly aware of their, their sexuality, of um, their feelings for someone else, they're not quite... Um, they're not quite where they need to be, I think, certainly at this age. So I would say I would, I would definitely agree that she's not quite herself at this and point. And who has not experienced the question of, is this love or is this infatuation? Is this a, a sort of animal desire, a sexual a desire, or is this intimacy that would lead to love? And, you know, it's really for the most sophisticated person, a challenge. And here's this young girl. She's contemplating all of this really pretty much on her own, except for her confidant, Dolce, who is the daughter of David, her her soon-to-be betrothed, the older man, who is on the municipal council, who has achieved a position of power and wealth in the community. But Dolce is her own Machiavellian character whom I adored because I think... Look, if you continue having young maidens be fair and sweet and docile, it's not enough. We haven't joined the ranks of real characters until you create someone like Dolce, right? Don't you think? I I do think. And I also love Dolce. And I love the fact that she had her own agenda here and that she was willing to do anything, including going into cahoots with Kristoff 
you know, this dashing um, French soldier to try and make sure that Morel would not marry her father because any marriage to her father would endanger her own inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they had a male heir, she had no idea what was going to happen to her. So she, I, I like the term Machiavellian for her because that's exactly what she was. She was, stra- she was a strategist. Yes, and it's not until towards the end of the novel that Morel wakes up and realizes that she's not truly a friend. Yes, but I loved that uncovering. You know, that's also a loss of innocence that goes on. Um, and I think that there is something very Freudian about the relationship between Dolce and her father, David. Um, even their names kind of resonate. Uh, so Dolce's mother perished and um, there was this gaping hole in their lives. Um, it was She was a, a, a young and beautiful and cultured hostess, um, aristocratic as well, but um, Dolce she steps into her into her uh, toes, into her shoes, and becomes the sidebar for her father, and helps him travel through society by hosting these lavish parties. All of which, by the way, were treated to in this novel in very exquisite detail. We're really very present in these rooms of these um, intriguing balls and soirees that take place in Ancona. Um, I, I do think, though, that um, everyone needed something. Christoph needed Dolce to get to Mirel because it was a losing battle to try to get her attentions and affections um, to come across because he could feel her throbbing um, pulse, you know, whenever he entered the room, their chemistry. But um, she wasn't able to act on it because she was imprisoned, basically, as we all are by our Mm. roles. Um, I wondered if you thought, um, in general, these hierarchies, um, and you know, the, in, in, and with, within maybe the conservative Jewish community, how active are some of these roles? Do you think even now? How much does this reverberate um, for young Jewish girls? Do you think? Well, I think in sort of the more orthodox. Societies and anyone who's seen, for example, the show Unorthodox, mm-hmm. um, will will recognize that these these girls truly are trapped, um, you know, and and have to grow into sort of the whole wife and mother role. But I truly also feel that that any time you have a society like this, you're going to have women who figure their way out of it. Who, who figure out how to, you know, sort of take power. And I really feel like that's what Dolce did, is mm-hmm. that she was able to, um, you know, figure her way out of the social constraints, live within them, but make them work to her advantage. Mm-hmm. She worms her way through. She's kind of just a really diabolical and fantastic um, character. I, 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 you know, in addition to Mirel, who is just eminently lovable, um, Dolce, you really can't wait to 
have her come into the scene because she's going to do something and it's just going to end up being shocking and, um, you know, (laughs) appallingly unethical. But, you know, she does claim her power and she carves out a role for herself. And it's recognized, of course, by her father. He knows her. He knows her inside and out. He knows she's scheming. Um, He knows that she's preventing him from potentially future happiness with a young wife or another wife. So it's very interesting. I mean, of course, this week I reflect on it so much, the way a parent Mm. knows their knows their daughter intimately. Um, And I, I loved also this very delicate equation, David, um, you know, who who did exist historically, he was uh, more pogno, he, he became um, a a powerful uh, municipal uh, figure in Ancona. And you talk about assimilation he's not wearing the ear he's not wearing the um earlocks he is assimilated into society and he's claimed his power uh in the government which i think was chafed at by several parties um but tough luck i mean he was not only worthy he was brilliant he was a brilliant businessman he was equitable he had a fair outlook he was entirely qualified and one has to say here's a reason to love napoleon bonaparte i mean he was a great equalizer in this totally disparate society having torn down the gates but you talk about assimilation the desire to blend in for um, conservative Jewish uh, people in in an otherwise, you know, a ridiculously orthodox Catholic community, um, you know, they had their own scriptures, and obviously they were ignorant of people. Um, what do you think, what do you make of this way of assimilating? Simone did not so much, but David did. Is this something that you thematically explore and do you come to any conclusions about this? No, this is definitely a topic that is very important to me and that I have um, explored previously, um, including in a book that uh, has not yet been published. Um, Mm. But the, the whole tug and pull, I mean, I'm a secular American Jew. Um, I happen to have lived in Israel for quite a number of years. Um, But I'm a secular American Jew, and there is this tremendous tug and pull that I think we feel between wanting to maintain, you know, our religious identity, you know, continue customs and things like that, versus being considered just a part of the rest of society. And absolutely... Um, when the uh, French Revolution gave citizenship to the Jews for the first time, literally in millennia, and they had the same protections and duties as every other French citizen, which is why Daniel is a Jewish soldier in Napoleon's forces, mm-hmm. right? Then there was the big question, how far is too far? Where do you draw the line for yourself? And I really feel that this is a... a um, a struggle that we today um, still live. This is, this is still an important struggle in terms of how much is too much. Um, so, yeah, no, this is, this is a uh, very important theme for me. 
It's a very alive debate, an internal and cultural one. I look at the embodiment of uh, Michael Bloomberg, for example. I lived in New York City um, during the three terms of his mayorship, and I can tell you there is no more outstanding leader. And he, um, you know, clearly assimilated. He assimilated to me. He was the David Moore Porgo of New York City. He, Mm. you know, he was fantastically successful as a businessman, Bloomberg News, and he became mayor um, and was probably one of the more rational, um, equal-handed mayors of uh, New York history. In any case, um, he looked dressed uh, assimilated, you know, just like everyone. He was straight out of Ralph Lauren, another cultural icon who emerged out of, I think, a conservative Jewish background and became um, an icon for cultural or even appearance assimilation, right? I mean, this is fascinating to me, these aspects. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And again, I mean, I go back to the whole idea of what the French Revolution really brought to the Jews of the time. Um, you know, one of the things that they did is um, they basically got rid of all religion um, mm-hmm. for, for, for a period of time. Um, and one thing, because the book is, is um, as long as it is, I had to cut. Actually, it was actually longer. And I had to cut a number of things. And one of the things that I cut was I was explaining the uh, French Revolutionary calendar, which was based on decades. So there were 10 months of the year and 10 days a week. And so you only got to rest on the 10th day. That immediately got rid of Shabbat for the Jews and Sunday Sabbath for the Christians. Interesting. And so this was, this was you know, this was why the Italians were so... Italian Catholics were so frightened of Napoleon's, um, um, you know, military campaign and taking over their town. They were afraid that he was going to do to them what the French had done to their own Catholics. Right. Well, then there's La, La Dolce Vita, too. I mean, in, right. in Italy, the concept of working for nine days, I'm sh- not sure they can always make it through six. Without, you know, it's really a very, you know, luxuriant, um, you know, everyone, you know, it's replete with fabulous food, fabulous um, drink. And of course, all of that is, you can, it's almost delectable in this book. But I mean, it's, you can see the conflict. And yes, I can see what you're saying. That's a fascinating uh, detail. So, you know, taking away all religions, um, and I feel as though Napoleon, he almost realized that he was going a bridge too far. He encounters the Madonna, right? The Madonna that speaks or is um, expressive in Ancona, and he is taken with her. This is a religious reliquary in the cathedral, um, and he gets a message from Madonna, which is just fascinating to me there you know he could indulge in these conceits uh, I think partly because of his own vanity but also he was susceptible to you know I think he even talked about it you know allowing for rituals um, without having to completely annihilate and still preserving uh, a kind of democracy Um, you're going to have to tell us before the end of this what is this going to be is the next book going to be a sequel because I'm all for it (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is, actually. Oh, good. It is. 
Okay, good. Because, you know, you leave us hanging and I was hanging. Um, I think the other, and, and so I'm just delighted to be re- reacquainted and immersed with these characters again, Michelle, author of Beyond the Ghetto Gates. We're speaking with Michelle Cameron. We've got a few minutes left of this next segment. I like this idea that being introduced to individual characters and their way of life and their attachments, their longings, their passions, their family ties, their commitments, their heart um, is a way through to tolerance, to setting aside prejudices that were previously might have been there. Your comment on that, Michelle, you've done, you've given us the gateway here. Yes, I think particularly in the relationship between Francesca and Daniel, we see that, you know, um, brought to life. Francesca was brought up as a devout Catholic. She was raised um, by um, her family and the church to truly um, revile Jews. Um, when she first meets Daniel, um, who, um, you know, is literally in her house holding her prisoner, um, she, she has a, a um, chance to study him much more closely. And what she sees is not what she's been taught. And right. so she really starts to question, you know, all of those deep-held prejudices. Right. So it, it, it is a question, can getting to know, you know, the other, in quotation marks, help overcome, you know, the, this kind of bias? And, of course, the hope is that it can. But, yes. you know, um, I, won't, I won't reveal what happens at the end of the book just no. to say that sometimes it, it doesn't. Michelle, um, it's a very acute and astute point. I think that you now we are um, we we have to have a personal story to become acquainted to remove the idea that <clears throat> the Jewish money handlers were not the sca- were were not they were in fact scapegoats. They were not responsible for the demise of Francesca's husband, and to learn when we come back from the break what happens to all of these people who survives and who departs don't go away we're with, we're on dropping in with michelle cameron voice america is on your favorite smart speaker if you have alexa or google home go ahead and give us a try hey alexa play finding your frequency podcast on TuneIn. she writes press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. 
New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Michelle Cameron. We're discussing her book, Beyond the Ghetto Gates. There's a personal love story. There are several love stories. Brewing, for sure. There's lots of lust. There's lots and lots of violence. Um, All for the good cause uh, of each party involved. Um, Disparate goals, I would say. And there's the acquaintance of individuals who transcend their... um, cultural group, groupings and biases that we may have previously held and that certainly um, needed to be dismantled in the city of Ancona, Italy in 19th century when Napoleon's forces were occupying. Um, And Michelle, even with the gates symbolically being torn down by Napoleon, There is the theme, I think, of isolation, the sequestering, the enclave, the insider-outsider, the other in us, um, the other who is strange, the other who creates fear, paranoia, um, ignorance. And I think that, you know, when we are even experiencing now our quarantining and our isolation, we don't even really view people the same way when we see them on the street. You know, they're potentially a threat. And we, we don't even have our, our true feelings of humanity or sense of humanity about us right now. We want to, and we were connected in ways that we never were before, and I think we feel compassion for strangers in a way we never did before. But that physical sense of, uh-oh, I'm coming in contact with someone, is that someone got it? Or, you know, it's, it's a sense of strangeness and um, a lack of humanity that we're experiencing in a very, very minute level, but it's permeating. And I wondered about um, talking, if you could talk with us about um, the actual integration of the ghetto into Ancona society or culture, it doesn't really even happen once the gates are down, right? No, um, even though, and I do make the point, the children are brought into the regular schools for a very short time. Um, and, of course, you do have, it's actually three Jews who, who do join the municipal council. But there is a lot of feeling that this is temporary, and, in fact, it was temporary. I mean, once Napoleon lost in 1815 and the Congress of Vienna tried to put all of Europe back to where it was, before this all happened, um, the Pope took back over, the, gu- the ghetto gates went back up, and they weren't, you know, throughout Italy, and they weren't really brought down until, you know, 1870, when, when the Pope's control um, left um, 
left those parts of Italy. Um, but the other thing I want to comment on is how ironic it is that um, I wrote this long before, of course, COVID struck, and I never realized that social isolation was going to be so important to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing a lot of, you know, um, I, you know, I had a book tour scheduled for the novel. And, of course, what I am doing, I'm doing, you know, via uh, Zoom, via other, other means um, to try and get the word out there because I can't physically be in the place with, with people. So, so you're right. It is definitely something I don't, I think we have more empathy for, mm-hmm. for these characters who were stuck behind the ghetto gates now mm-hmm. than we ever would have before, before this all happened. Absolutely. It's poignant. I just, I think too, when you're talking about um, your book virtually and we find ourselves connected to strangers, the lovely part that happens is we just, you know, we cut to the chase. We want to get to what's the, what's the heartbeat? What's the beating heart of this book? What are the themes? What is, you know, making these people tick? And um, we do immerse ourselves maybe in some ways we're kind of split open and a little bit vulnerable because of what's happening to us and we climb I did climb right inside of Mirel and go on this um you know this very nuanced journey with her will she stay by her family will she abide by them will she go into the world of power and wealth with David will she go off with Christoph her incredibly um, lustful um, uh, tryst uh, you know mate and um, paramour um, and we have then the very very subtle inkling of Daniel as the faraway cousin um, mm-hmm. who is the the good, the really the conscience somehow of the whole book, of the whole story he is um, trying to speak truth to everyone and it's not so easy right? He is an interesting character that you fabricated. How did he come about? Well he I mean, Daniel is, is, again, one of my favorite characters, and he's definitely going to feature in the next book. Um, but, yes, David, David is definitely, I think, the, the, he's the conscious, but he's also the pragmatic character. I mean, mm-hmm. he is a Jewish soldier. He cannot keep kosher. He, you know, is clean-shaven, um, which was not the tradition for Jews at this point in time. Um, but he also recognizes, you know, when he is in war scenes, you know, um, parts of, of, you know, thou shalt not murder comes through his head. So he's, he's, he's conditioned by the culture he grew up in, but he also recognizes that times need to change. Um, and, you know, as you say, there are hints of his attraction towards um, Morel, but he's also a very uh, loyal character. Uh, Christoph is his best friend. He's not going to, you know, mess that up. So, um, yeah, I, I love Daniel. I mean, I think Daniel is one of my favorite characters in the book, and we will definitely be seeing more of him. 
Yay. Because I really, I mean, I just, I find also um, what's true to Daniel is his evolution in real time. I mean, it feels much more authentic, obviously, than an an arbitrary uh, arranged marriage, which was the proposal between Mirelle and David, the much older David. Um, And it's very different than the urgency of um, a roll in the hay with Christoph. that is a little spoiler alert. It does come to fruition. <laughs> and I'm going to hand it to you, Michelle, because let's get to fruition here in culmination because we don't really want to be dangling. Um, but Daniel, it is um, subtle. It's kind of iterative. He has an appreciation for the family, for Simone, for Penina, who are Morel's parents. He's really of the fiber of the book. And as you say, he understands there's a time and a season to everything. He tries to live, um, you know, in accordance with with um, what he knows to be true ethically and morally. But at times, you know, there's a need to step out. But he doesn't do so in such a precipitous way that we're jarred. It's coming along very, at a very slow boil, which I'm thrilled mm-hmm. to hear we're going to experience with him um, in future sometime. Um, I also just wanted to note that the book, it's highly, highly cinematic. It has a character and a flavor that begs for a film to be made. And um, I wondered, you know, in your mind's eye, did you, is it because you just entered the scene fully as an author or do you, do you yourself see it as a, as a film? You know, my, my son, the one I dedicated the book to, um, who works in publishing, and he worked as an intern in, um, for a literary agent when he was in college, and he said the worst uh, letters that he got because he was handling the slush pile. Mm-hmm. The worst letters he got said, I'm writing this novel so you can make a movie out of it. Right. Um, which publishers hate to hear. Um, so I, I've, I wrote this as a novel. Um, do I thrill a little bit when somebody says I can see this as a movie or as a, you know, the kind of series that someone at the BBC would make? Of course I do. I would love to see that. But no, this was this was my author's eye that I was using to write it. So yeah, I did. By the way, I'm sorry. I did. By the way, have have um, Alex and his fiance help me cast it um, because I I wouldn't know who to put in the lead roles anymore. Who's Mirelle? See, Who's now this is my problem. Like I said, uh, I I don't even remember who they told me. Oh, don't worry. You know what? I think it's much, much, much to your credit. Michelle Cameron, author of Beyond the Ghetto Gates, um, worth whom we're speaking. You know, it's much to your credit because the book is completely, uh, you enter its own world. You live in its own world. And I'm very grateful for that because I needed to get out of my own world this week. Mm. Um, I feel the importance and the potency of that. And when you read a novel that has been construed with the agenda of filmmaking in mind, you can feel it. The plot points move differently. They move very deliberately A to B to C to D. And yours are convoluted like real life. You have the complexity and the nuance and the texture of real life. So 
much to your credit that you don't know who the leads are. I, I think, you know, I will just posit it that I think, you know, you've written something that's so incredibly woven as a fabric. Um, and I think it would be a joy to behold. When you think about the takeaways that you'd like your readers to embrace or enjoy in the few minutes that we have left, um, just tell us what you would love. What was your fondest idea of what a person would take away from reading Beyond the Ghetto Gates? Well, first and foremost, I think that they enjoy the story. I mean, you know, I think that while writers um, have themes deeply embedded in them, you know, if they're not storytellers first, if they're not weaving a story that will, you know, as you've said, immerse the reader, um, then they are not doing justice to the form. So absolutely, I want, I want people to take away the sense that they have written a really compelling and, and, and fun story. I mean, mm-hmm. but of course, there are themes um, embedded in the book, and we've talked about a lot of them. I want people to have a better understanding of what life was like for the Jews at this point in time, that they were... Um, struggling with issues of assimilation, um, that this was, was something somewhat new for them. Um, and that, of course, the whole issue of anti-Semitism, which unfortunately is gaining ground today, mm. um, that there are, you know, that there's no logical reason for it. And that, no. of course, is very important to me. It is. So it's I think, important. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. very important to yeah. to revive the to revive the tolerance and appreciation for diversity, so that the balance can be struck between cultures retaining individuality. Um, I I do think that what you've given us is not just this the story, which is elaborate and emotional and gut-wrenching and involving and engaging. It's that you've delivered these characters, Michelle. Um, They are characters with whom we have an emotional, we're in their emotional grip. We're in their energy and we exchange this energy. And this is the beauty of it. You get to know people as humans. This is a labor of love from Michelle Cameron. It's called Beyond the Ghetto Gates, It's a historical novel, sweeping, beautiful, and classic. I urge you to read it. You can find Michelle Cameron at her website, Facebook author page, Michelle Cameron author. She's on Twitter and M. Cameron Writer, and on Instagram, Michelle Cameron Writer. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michelle. We've enjoyed it very, very much. I dedicate this to my mother, and I thank all of our listeners Please stay safe, everyone, and be well. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.